Well, that's the topic before us in the text tonight. It's a word with few letters, love, but it's a major theme in everybody's life. Uh, we're on a quest for it from the time we're conscious of it. And for many of us, we've made the mistake of looking for it, love that is, in all the wrong places. Many of us are paying the consequences for it to this day. Uh, the Lord Jesus had something, well, lots to say about the subject, and we would be wise to be informed about what he had to say. I think what he had to say about love is more accurate than listening to the songs about it. Uh, there's a proliferation of uh, love songs, and not just in country western songs, but in every form of music. And uh, it's distorted in many cases because uh, the love spoken of in most of the love songs is really a function of the lovability of the object of one's love. But what do you do if you don't feel so lovable? Who's going to love you then? Well, that's what we'll talk about tonight. The last time we were in John, uh, the Lord Jesus said something quite remarkable. It's in John chapter 15, verse 9. The Lord said, perhaps you recall, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. You can read that real quickly, but you should not. You should try to chew on it and feast on it and try to wrap your mind around it. I think perhaps one of the biggest challenges for us as Christians is to accept this kind of love uh, bestowed upon us by the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he likens it to the kind of love he experienced from the Father, which is amazing because that love is unconditional, eternal, and forever. And the Lord Jesus says, can you understand the love the Father has for me? Well, that's the quality of love I have for you. That's a striking and overwhelming statement. It's a little hard to internalize, and yet it's very, very true not just for the Lord's followers in the day when this was spoken, but by extension and application for all of us who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, this still holds true, just as the Father has loved me. This is what he says, I have also loved you. Jesus said that, and now he takes us, building upon that truth, a step further in the text before us tonight. It's John chapter 15, and now we're up to verse 12. So I'll give you a chance to look there, John 15 verse 12. And while you're doing that, so as to redeem the time, let me mention to you, if you're interested in going with us to Israel in September to serve, we're having a meeting right after this service. I'll give you information about the trip. It's in room 1102 in the West Wing, which is that away, room 1102. I'll tell you the dates, the costs, and what the prerequisites and qualifications are for the trip. All right, I've given you time to find John 15, verse 12. Look, this is my commandment, the Lord is speaking, that you, he's speaking to those who believe on him, that you love one another, how? Just as I have loved you. So here, I think, in effect, is what the Lord has done. He has stated three truths, and each subsequent one builds on the previous one. So the first truth he declared is this, the Father loves me. Who would argue? Second truth, just as the Father loves me, I love you. And then the third truth, just as I love you, now here we go, love one another. 
So now it's up to us to do something about the Lord's love for us. It is to be motivation for us to show love to one another. In fact, the Lord is so serious about this that he puts it in the form of a command. This is my, not suggestion, not advice. This is my commandment that you, believers, love one another, other believers. How? Well, just as I have loved you. So this is a command to love. It's pretty clear. But maybe you, like me, ask the question, but Lord, how in the world can you command something like love? Uh, If love is only a feeling, and that's what it's popularly made out to be, uh, the Lord cannot, he would not command us to love because the Lord would not obligate us to feel something we're simply not able to feel. On the other hand, if love is not primarily a feeling, if it's something else, well, then the Lord can command it. So in the Bible, when the Lord speaks of love, he is not speaking primarily of a feeling. He's speaking of a decision, a deliberate manifestation, a deliberate act of one's will. And so love in the scriptures, biblical love, is not primarily an emotion or a feeling. It is primarily a decision, a deliberate decision to seek the highest good, in this case, of another believer. That's what we're commanded to do, seek the highest good of another brother or sister in Christ. Now, this kind of love can indeed be commanded, and that's exactly what the Lord is doing here in the text. Now notice this, unless you have a different translation than I do, the Lord does not command us to like one another. Did you notice that? How in the world could we obey that command? That would be a rough one. Let's just face it, folks. (laughs) We don't uh, always like one another. That's the way it is in every church. Therefore, the Lord, being really wise does not command us to like one another. He only commands us to love one another. In other words, he commands us to make the deliberate decision to seek the good, the higher good, of those fellow Christians with whom we fellowship with. And he can command us to do this because this is doable. So the Lord is not commanding us to feel love. He is commanding us to reveal love. And something very interesting happens when we obey that command. When we, as a deliberate act of the will, act lovingly towards another Christian, even when we don't feel warm, lovable feelings towards that Christian, something happens. When we do this, uh, our feelings for that person seems to change. Maybe you've had this experience. Our feelings of love seem to catch up with our obedient acts of love. Let me illustrate. Uh, I was, uh, I became a Christian in the military uh, in 1973. And the fellow who led me and many others to the Lord did not just lead us to the Lord. He took it upon himself then to help us grow or to disciple us, which I am so grateful for. And so I lived I roomed with him for a year after I came to know Christ, and he taught me how to have a quiet time and how to share my 
faith, and he taught me biblical principles of giving. I discovered, as our pastor has so often preached to us, the joy of giving early on as a new believer. He taught me about how to relate to the opposite sex, you know, all of those things that could really trip you up. And I was doing pretty good. And then he said to me, um, I want you to take on another roommate now. I want you to move out <laughs> and move in with another guy. And he named the guy. I was open to the idea until he named the guy. Well, uh, I knew the guy. We were in Bible study together. He, too, came to know the Lord about the same time I did. And uh, I had some rough edges, but nothing in comparison to this creep. I, I mean, to this brother. <laughs> In Christ. I mean, we came from different worlds. He was from the Midwest, from Iowa. I didn't even know that was a state. And um, I'm from New York where we have electricity. And, you know, so this is the guy. So I thought, well, you know, this guy who led me to the Lord has not led me astray. After all, he led me to the Lord. I don't really understand what he's up to. In fact, I told him, that guy, I don't like that guy. And he said to me, yeah, that's why I want you to live with him. It'll be a good growth experience for you. That's what he said. So I took him at his word, even though I didn't quite understand what he was up to. And um, I decided, this was in the military barracks, if we could come up with a project together, maybe it would join our hearts together. Well, uh, the room, uh, he occupied it before me in the barracks. The walls were painted dark maroon because he was a night shift worker in the military, and so he had to sleep by day. So he had it painted real dark. It looked like a cave, and uh, I didn't like it. So he and I negotiated a new color. It wasn't bright. It was, you know, a good in-between color. And I said, why don't we get together this Saturday morning, and I'll bring the paint and the brushes and all the supplies, and you and I will repaint the room. You know, we'll have a sense of ownership and things together and there'll be harmony between us. He said, sure. So uh, I go over to where the room was. I picked up all the paint supplies. I'm, I'm ready to go. We were supposed to meet together at about seven or eight in the morning. I don't remember when exactly now. Well, he wasn't there. And I just thought, well, you know, it's okay. I'll give him a little time. Five o'clock in the afternoon, I finished painting the entire room and he shows up. Well, I was not happy, and I didn't have loving things to say, and I didn't want anything to do with this guy. And uh, In fact, I remember thinking, man, the guy who led me to the Lord, he was right about that, but man, he really missed the mark here. But I stayed with it, and I decided to run an experiment. I did not like this guy at all, so there were surely no warm, affectionate feelings for him. But I knew he was a brother in Christ, and he knew the Lord just as I did, and this was my assignment. So I came up with deliberate acts of love, even though my heart was definitely not in it. Uh, things like uh, remembering his birthday, nothing earth-shattering, just little stuff. Um, asking him about his family, praying for him and with him. One time, I broke down and bought him lunch. Yes, indeed. We're talking about some big stuff. And what I found out over time is 
the harsh and hardened feelings I had for him were changing. And I was developing uh, understanding and an appreciation for the throes of his life which contributed to some of the insensitivities I saw in his life. And my feelings of animosity were giving way to affection. It was one of the most um, overwhelming manifestations of the presence of God in my life and of the wisdom of God in expressing truths and skillfulness in living in the pages of Scripture. Perhaps you have had this experience, but if you bail out too soon and you determine someone, maybe in our midst here, is just beyond being loved by you. Maybe the Lord loves that person, but I do not. Well, if you give up too soon and violate the Lord's commandment here to love, you'll never get a chance to see him change your heart for that person. I invite you to give it a shot. Pick out the most difficult person you know of here in the church. I saw Brother Chuck earlier in, uh, I don't know, he just came to mind. And, and <laughs> run the experiment of showing love. Remember, your heart doesn't have to be in it. It doesn't have to be the kind of mushy love, uh, fleeting love that you hear about in songs, popular songs. No, this is a deliberate, this is love as a de deliberate act of the will and see if your feelings toward that person indeed change. Now, if the Lord's command here to love one another sounds familiar to you. If you say, I've heard that someplace before, well, you're right, because he already said something just like it. In fact, just a few hours before the time when this in John 15 was spoken, just a few hours before in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, the Lord said, a new commandment I give to you, that you so here it is again, that you love one another. How? Even as I have loved you, that you love also one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Isn't that interesting? Not by our theology or denominational affiliation. By this, love shown to one another, all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, that's in John 13. Now we're hearing something similar in John 15. Again, just a few hours apart. Why is it repeated? Well, I think the answer is that the Lord, I'm sure you will agree, is the master teacher. That's what rabbi means, teacher. He was a rabbi in his day, not, not an ordinary one. He was the master teacher, and he learned, uh, he knew of, <clears throat> the value of repetition. A truth once stated is not enough, especially if it's sort of alien to us and doesn't come naturally like this truth, love one another. That's kind of a strange doctrine to us. And so the Lord repeats it uh, on many occasions. Here now is another one. So I ask you, is it just Christians who can love the way Jesus commands us to love. I thought about this, and I don't know if you'll agree with my answer, but I would answer yes. 
only Christians can love this way. Now, I didn't say non-believers can't love, but I will say non-believers cannot love the way we are commanded to here in this passage. In fact, here's an illustration, an example of how love is typically manifested by those who don't know the Lord Jesus. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 46 and 47. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? So that is how worldly people typically love. If you love me, I shall love you in return. Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Even those, probably uh, the least popular members of that society, even those love those who have previously loved them. And so the Lord is saying even the tax collectors can pull that off. If you greet only your brothers, family members, or folks like you, what more are you doing than others? Do not even, I like this part, do not even the Gentiles do the same. I'm just reading what it says. So even people without the law of Moses is what, who haven't been instructed and informed by the law of Moses, even Gentiles apart from the law can naturally and instinctively love those who are lovable. And so that kind of love is manifested by anyone. But the kind of love the Lord is commanding here is entirely different. It's the kind of love that can only be enabled by uh, God's spirit of love in us. So we are commanded here to love every single other Christian. Now that is a tall order. And we are commanded to love every single other Christian, whether we like them or not, or even more, whether they like us or not, or whether they deserve it or not, or whether they are lovable or not. Now, this is a distinctly different requirement and manifestation of love than the world is used to. So the Lord's love for us does not arise out of something lovable in us. His love for us is based upon his sovereign will and choice to affix his love upon us. And he commands us to make the same choice with reference to one another, just as he has chosen to love us. So uh, then to be sure that we're understanding what the Lord is commanding us to do, let me do as he would be prone to do and repeat it. We are commanded to love other Christians, others who are in the body of Christ, and the Lord has given us no option. So this is not something we do only when we feel like it. Uh, love is to be our deliberate response to anybody and everybody else in the family of God, regardless of how we feel about that person. But um, let me take a few moments to be sure we understand what our obligation to love one another really consists of, because it may not be what you think. Biblical love, for instance, 
is, um, doesn't consist in giving another believer what he or she necessarily wants. It has to do with giving that person what he or she needs. Biblical love is not a pampering love. It's a perfecting love. Biblical love is willing to speak the truth into another believer's life, even at the risk of offending and even angering that believer. Biblical love is willing to apply consequences to another believer's misbehavior. Biblical love is meant not to coddle, but to encourage more responsible choices. Biblical love is not only tender, it is also tough. And so that's the kind of love the Lord is commanding us to manifest. And so, uh, to repeat, the Lord has told us that he is loved by the Father, and he has told us that he loves us as the Father loves him. And then he says we are to love one another just as he loves us. Now, I think it would be helpful at this point for us to have an illustration of the love with which the Lord loves us. And it is provided in the text. Here it is in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Love for another brother or sister in Christ reaches its zenith, in other words, when one is willing to sacrifice his or her life for that fellow Christian. Uh, the Lord Jesus has spoken about his love for his disciples, and in just a few hours from the writing of this text, he would show them how great, he would show them, not just declare, but he would demonstrate just how great his love for them was. I mean, he would, as you know, make the supreme sacrifice for them. And then they would have not only his command to love, they would also have his supreme example of love. Now, folks, uh, if this makes you a little uncomfortable, it did me. Let me offer this. As it turns out, few of us, uh, very few, if any of us, will be called upon to make this supreme sacrifice of love. In fact, for most of us, our opportunity to show love for one another will be in the ordinary daily matters of life. So it might consist, men, in doing the dishes at home. Uh, the Lord is not necessarily causing you to literally die, but he may be calling, he is calling upon all of us to die to self. And so it consists of granting forgiveness, giving a warm greeting even to someone you don't like and without any expectation of it being returned, not speaking ill of another believer and denigrating that one's character or reputation, uh, though you do not like that person. These are the kinds of ordinary activities of daily living that the Lord will call most of us to manifest. So 
Uh, most of us are not going to be called to die for one another. We are simply called upon to die to self for one another. Now, note this about our Lord Jesus. Uh, perhaps you've noticed this. He will never demand what he does not himself demonstrate. And so he commands us, he demands that we love one another sacrificially, but he first demonstrates his sacrificial love for each of us on the cross. It's as if he is saying, look, uh, if I lay down my life for you, are you not willing to show lesser acts of sacrificial love to one another? That's essentially, I think, what he's saying. So consider once again, by way of repetition, what he has said. He said, greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. And so the Lord has spoken of his willingness to lay down his life for his friends, which begs the question, who are his friends? And the answer is clearly given in the next verse, verse 14. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. Now that verse has needlessly tripped up a lot of folk who in reading it too quickly and without the benefit of the rest of Scripture come to the conclusion that it is obedience which earns the affection and friendship of Christ. Boy, that would put a big burden on all of us and the good news of justification by faith through God's grace would not be such good news. If I'm reading this verse quickly, it looks like to have a friendly relationship with Christ, I have to obey. So that puts a big burden on me. This is not what the verse is saying. It is not saying obedience earns you the friendship of Christ. It is simply uh, saying that those who are, by faith, Christ's friends, those typically obey him. One of the evidences of an already established good relationship and friendship with Christ is that one in his or her lifestyle obeys. So if you'll allow me, I don't think I'm tampering with the text. I think it actually could be rendered this way. You are my friends, not if you do what I command you, you are my friends since you do what I command you. I believe that's the sense of what's being said here. Now, the first step to becoming a friend of Jesus is not to obey him. It is to come to him as a disobedient, helpless sinner asking him to save you from sins. That's the first step towards friendship with Christ. Until then, you see, you're an adversary, even an enemy of Christ. And then after coming into a friendly, affectionate, warm relationship with Christ by your faith in his provision for our sin, then the evidence that you really have come to Christ is that in your lifestyle, you are obeying him as a pattern which you never saw manifested in your life before. So being rightly related to Jesus by faith and then obeying Jesus as a new lifestyle, that's what defines one to be a friend of Christ. So I ask you this haunting question.
question to be answered by your own conscience, it's this. Would Jesus call you his friend? That question must be answered rightly now before it's too late. Would Jesus call you his friend? I surely hope you can with confidence answer in the affirmative. If you're not sure about that, we would love to meet with you at the end of the service in the Connection Center. Just discuss that. Maybe you're wondering, can I know if I'm on friendly terms with Jesus? I have a question mark about it. We'd love to chat with you about it if you're courageous enough to honestly share with us your concern. Uh, the reason why we would love for each here to leave knowing I am a friend of Jesus is that being a friend of Jesus carries with it untold benefits, one of which is declared for us in our last verse for tonight, verse 15. Look what it says. No longer, the Lord is speaking, do I call you slaves. For the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. What's implied here is what we all know. There's quite a difference between being a slave to a master and being a friend of that master. You see, the master simply tells his slaves what to do. Carry this, move that, go here, go there. That's the nature of the master-slave relationship. The slave is property. The slave, well, is less than human. The slave has no rights. There's no closeness, affection, or intimacy. There is no meaningful communication between master and slave. There's the understanding on both parts. I have power, you have none. I have rights, you only have obligations. And the Lord Jesus says, no longer do I regard you as slaves, implying that's how once we were seen to be slaves. But he says, no, now I call you friends. A slave... <laughs> is in a much different life situation than a friend of the master. For one thing, the master shares himself. The master shares his plans with his friend. Though the master may ask his friend to do this or do that, along with it comes an explanation. It's not just a raw imposition of power. No, uh, for the friend of the master, there's an explanation. Uh, there's um, purpose, not arbitrariness, behind what the master requires. The slave could say, Master, why? And the master only owes the slave this, because I said so. But the friend of the master, when asked why, will explain, because I think this will work out for your good. This is in your best interest. The master may say, because when you do this, it will best serve the benevolent purposes which I have for you. 
Folks, a slave receives orders, period, nothing more. But a friend receives much more. A friend has things explained. A friend has things revealed from the master. A friend has the master's mind and heart opened up. A friend of the master has a far greater level of intimacy with the master than the slave could ever hope for. To be a friend of Master Jesus means that he chooses freely and gladly to openly share with us the things he himself has heard from the Father. Do you realize, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, what a privileged status and position is now yours? The Lord Jesus says to those who have come to him as Savior, I'm just reading the text, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. This is one of the most fearful experiences of one in slavery. You never know when the master will say this or that or do this or that. You have no advance notice. All you're anticipating is catastrophe. But the Lord Jesus said that's not true. Though the slave does not know what his master is doing, I have called you friends. Now, this phrase, I have called you friends, is not arbitrary here. In fact, it relates to a custom in that day which has been lost upon us in this day. In that day, in the royal courts of emperors or kings, there was a select group of people given this specific designation, friends of the king or friends of the emperor. And this select group had special and regular access to the king, the likes of which nobody else did. They had the right to come to the king, come to the emperor at any time. This was unique. They had the closest and most intimate connection to the king. The term friend of the emperor in fact, was the highest title which could be bestowed upon someone in the Roman Empire of the Lord's day. And that title, by the way, could only be bestowed upon one by the emperor himself. A slave of the emperor had the lowest status in the Roman Empire, but a friend of the emperor, in contrast, had the highest status. What is your status with Master Jesus? You see, only he could bestow the title of friend upon you. Only he has the will and authority to do so. I ask you, are you a friend of Master Jesus? Or are you distant apart from him? Are you unfriended? just like a slave. Please don't leave here, that being your status, when he, even today, stands willing to bestow upon you the title of friend of Jesus.
slaves of Master Jesus are expected to obey. Did you know that? Even slaves today who don't know him are still expected to obey and will one day be held accountable for the extent to which they disobeyed. But friends of Master Jesus are viewed in a completely different light. They receive, you see, much more than mere orders. They receive access to him and intimacy and are also let in on the master's plans. In fact, they become recipients of God's divine revelation. We're reading from it tonight. I know you and I will never take lightly the tremendous gift of 66 books of revelation of God's will. It's not just the final book called the book of Revelation, even the 65 preceding it, are revelation of the Father's will and purpose and character. Master Jesus doesn't keep secrets from those who are his friends. He's a God of revelation. He wants us to know. And in knowing, he wants us to rejoice, participate, and he wants us to live consistently with the revealed plans of himself. We are not treated as mere slaves. Now listen, I know we are servants of the Lord and glad to be so, but we are much more than that. We are his friends. And of his friends, he says, all things I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. There was a man named Joseph Scriven. He wrote a poem in 1855. He did so to comfort his aging mother. Later, in 1868, that poem was put to music, and it became a very well-known hymn. I'll bet most of you know of it. It's called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. What a Friend we have in Jesus. And as a result of the friendship, the next phrase is true. All our sins, not just that, and griefs to bear. I assure you, a master who has a slave could care less about the grief, pains, and hurts that the slave is experiencing. What a friend, however, we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What's more, what a privilege to carry everything to Master Jesus in prayer. A slave can't do that. Can you imagine the slave getting up one morning and going over to the big house, knocking on the master's door <laughs> to talk about personal challenges and struggles and grievances and griefs? Are you kidding the slave would be beaten and maybe even murdered. But what happens to us because of our friendship with the Lord Jesus? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, folks, whatever else may be true in this crazy day in which we are privileged to live in, this is most true of those who have accepted Christ. The status has changed from slave of the master to friend of the master. 
and the master has chosen to illuminate us. We could not even see what was in Scripture. He's chosen to open our eyes so that though it's a lifelong study and we're always trying to know more of it, still, even what the new believer can see in the Scripture far exceeds that which an unbeliever can see. The veil has been removed immediately upon accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sends into us his very presence in the form of his very Holy Spirit who can open our eyes to written scripture. And we could know, I spoke to a lady today who lost a loved one two days ago, and she, even in the midst of grief, was rejoicing because the Lord told her in scripture in advance of the passing of that relative where she could find that relative who had accepted Christ before he passed. She's not left with this hopeless speculation about eternity. The God who is eternal spelled it out. He said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you are only a slave of Christ, you are not living in the hope of his revealed promises. You're guessing and you're speculating and you have every reason to be fearful about your future. But if you're a friend of Christ, we find out that his perfect love for us casts out all fear. Though we don't fully comprehend all of the riches that there is in Christ, he has revealed to us in 66 books written as love letters to us, his mind his will, his desires, his values, his plans, and his purposes. I beg you, if you're not certain about who you are in Christ's eyes, if you can't leave and say, I am a friend of Master Jesus, please do yourself a favor and us too. Spend some moments with us in the Connection Center so that in your heart you could sing what I ask you to sing now, just a few words. Sing with me, what a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God. And that's what we do now, Lord Jesus. Thank you for bestowing this wonderful title upon us. It could only come from you. Only you have the authority to think of us as friends rather than adversaries. Wow, this means a lot to us. Thank you for the boldness of access which we now can have to your throne characterized by grace, never to hear, go from me, I do not know you. Go from me, I have no appointment with you. No, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the availability and accessibility which you have given to us. And I pray, oh God, we would leave this place persuaded of our friendly relationship with you due to the cross upon which the very wrath of your father which should have been lodged upon us fell upon you 
thank you that we could expect no longer the wrath of God, but instead the friendship of Almighty God. And help us to be so filled up with that that we explode with enthusiasm to tell others they too can be friends of Master Jesus. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.